So there's a story in Genesis 15 that I'm going to guess probably sounds pretty strange to most of us. And it's a story that, that comes about because Abraham needs some hope. He, he's, kind of, he's kind of wrestling with, with some questions. He's in a time of uncertainty, and he needs something that he can hold on to. You see, God has called Abraham, who is, who is still Abram at this point in the story, He's called Abram to, to leave his homeland and, and set out on this journey of faith without really knowing what's in store. And so Abram goes and, and he leaves his land and, and he, he does what God has asked him to, not always in the exact manner in which God has, has called him to do so, which causes some other problems. That's a sermon for another day, though. And God tells Abram that he's going to make him into a great nation, a, a promise that God reiterates in Genesis 15 when he says that Abram's descendants will, will be like the stars in the sky and he won't even be able to count them. But it's been a couple of decades for Abram now since he left home and, and he still doesn't have any offspring of his own. And there's still been no sight of this, this land that God has, has promised to, to give him possession of. And so Abram asks God, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? So we're, like we're, we're told right before this that, that when God reiterates this problem about his offspring, it says Abram believed God. But then God keeps going, and, I, and I'm going to give you this land. And, and, and now these unanswered questions, though, kind of still keep coming up from Abram, right? Like, I, I, I want to believe, I, I, I do believe you, God, but I, I, need something, I need something that I can hold on to. How can I know? How can I be sure? And so God responds, as you would expect him to, Give me, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. <laughs> okay, so maybe not quite how we would expect him to respond. Uh, like from where we're sitting, that response doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Like, come on, God, you could have at least answered the guy's question, right? But there's a good chance, I think, that Abram knew exactly what God was getting at. But there's no way that he could have been expecting the twist that God was about to add to what was coming. So today we're beginning what amounts to a, a series within a series as we continue our, our series on hope. And this lesson uh, was originally going to be titled The Hope of the Covenant, and we were going to look at, at part of Ephesians 2. And... And then as I started kind of reading and, and thinking more about covenants, it kind of grew into more of that. So we're not even going to get to Ephesians 2 today because it was either going to be break this up into uh, probably about three sermons or, or have an hour and a half long sermon today. And so you're welcome. <laughs> Went with the series within a series option. And, and, and I did that because I think there's, there's some groundwork that is that is helpful for us, that is insightful for us, and was certainly insightful for me. I had kind of some aha moments this week that ended up with me, as I said, changing my sermon very late in the, in the week because I thought, man, there's some groundwork that's going to be 
helpful and beneficial for us, I think, in, in understanding covenants. And so today will kind of be some groundwork laying for, for where we're going to go, although we'll, we'll arrive at, at, at a couple of places today that, that I think will be uh, interesting and, and beneficial for us. But, but we're going to talk about, begin talking about covenants today, and then over the next couple of weeks, kind of lay out kind of some, some stuff in the New Testament that we see in relation to that. But, but to kind of begin thinking about covenants, uh, broadly and simply, a covenant is a partnership or agreement between two individuals or parties. But covenants are, are different than contracts because they're, they're more... They're more of relational agreements than legal ones. And, and there may sort of be a legal component to it in a sense, but, but it's about relationships. And it's, it's about entering into this, this relational partnership with, with someone else or another group of people. And, and again, we, we don't use this language a lot in, in our lives today. Um, although I, I think going back and, and looking at some of this helps bring some clarity to, to how God works with people throughout Scripture and what Jesus is doing for us in this new covenant that he establishes in the New Testament. Uh, and so we don't use this language a lot, I don't think, but marriage marriage seems to be a place that, that we do tend to still use some of this covenantal language. We still associate the marriage relationship and the marriage ceremony with, with covenant and with a covenant-making ceremony. And, and so if I think of my marriage only as a legal arrangement, I've sort of missed the point of it, right? Like, I'm, I'm never going to be fully invested in my marriage if, if I've only done it for legal reasons, or if I'm only staying in the marriage because I feel like I'm legally obligated to do so. I'm never going to be fully invested or, or get, get what it's designed to get out of it. And, and part of the idea of a covenant arrangement is, is that the two individuals or the two parties are, are each bringing something into the relationship that benefits the other. And so in a covenant, there are tasks or, or goods or services that each party commits to provide so that together they can bring about this imagined future that is shared by the two parties. There's a common goal that the parties are, are working toward, and there's a belief that a partnership will be mutually beneficial in, in pursuit of this goal. That is, that's covenant. That's a covenant relationship. And we hear all of that in our marriage vows, right? That, that in a marriage vow, each individual is, is committing something to the other person because of this imagined future that both of the individuals believe is possible, that they believe that's possible if they each hold to their commitment, if they're faithful to this covenant that they are making with each other. And what we find throughout Scripture is we find, we find God making covenants with people. And covenants were, were, were a prominent part of life in, in ancient culture, and, and even in, in pagan cultures, they were a common part of life. And so we find God willing to, to condescend himself to, to the level and nature of humans in order to make covenants himself with people. And, and we see him doing so because, 
because we repeatedly find God wanting to, to partner with and, and enter into these relational agreements with people that are, that are mutually beneficial. Like God's willingness to do this assumes that there is something even for him to gain or something that would be beneficial to, to him and his purposes by partnering with us in covenant relationship. God desires relationship and connection and partnership between himself and us because of what he believes we can accomplish together. Because he wants us to be a part of of bringing about this imagined and promised future. To borrow from Paul, God invites us to share in his ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for Christ in the world. But as we know, people have repeatedly rebelled against God, chose their own path, or deliberately turned away from God ever since the Garden of Eden. And so there comes a time then, then pretty early on in the narrative of Scripture when, when God decided that he would take this, this smaller group of people and, and separate them out from the rest of, of the world, from the rest of the people. They would be a holy people, a, a set-apart people, which is what holy means, set apart. God's going to take this group, this, this newly formed holy nation that would become known as, as Israel, so that his glory and, and love and mercy would radiate from them to the rest of creation. They will be this shining light to the rest of the world so that the, the other nations then will come into relationship with God through this set-apart people, that, that by, by recognizing the work of God through this people, that, that God's covenant would then end up extending out from Israel to the rest of the world. That's the idea. But in order to get there to that imagined future, he starts with a covenant relationship with one man, Abram. But even as God is is making promises about the future to Abram, Abram has questions. Which brings us back to the cow, the goat, the ram, and the birds. And quite the unexpected twist in an otherwise familiar covenant ceremony. So let's pick up the story again. This is in Genesis 15, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, so this story, uh, this story just went from weird to like weird and incredibly bloody and gross, right? Uh, but this is, this is what a covenant ceremony would look like in the ancient world. This is very typical of, of a covenant-making ceremony. And when you entered into a covenant with, with another person, both of the individuals would participate in a covenant ceremony like this. Either both of the individuals or a representative 
from, from the two groups, if it was two groups of people or two nations or tribes who were coming into a covenant agreement and relationship. And in Hebrew, the word covenant literally means to cut. That's, that's what it literally means. And so you don't make a covenant, you don't sign a covenant, you cut a covenant. That was the original idea, at least. Uh, and part of the covenant ceremony then, by nature, involved slaughtering animals, cutting them in two, and creating this path of blood and who knows what else that's flowing from that, the slaughtered parts of these animals down into the middle of this, this bloody path. And then the representative from each group entering into the covenant would walk through this path of, of blood and guts so that like by the end of it, their feet and probably even their legs are covered in all kinds of stuff. This is fun stuff. This is a, <laughs> this is a, nice, a nice hopeful picture, right? We're talking about hope. So here's you some, here's you some hope. <laughs> And, and the graphic nature of that was, was sort of the point. Uh, it, it, it was the point in many ways. Like you can sign a document without the weight of what you're doing really sort of, of hitting you. But, but if you do this, if you go through this process, uh, you're going to feel the weight of it. Right? Like it's, it's going to be hard to do this without it leaving an impression. You're going to remember what you're doing. Now that doesn't mean that the graphic visuals were the only reason for killing the animals uh, because they would typically then eat a, a covenant meal together afterwards. And, and that's an idea we'll come back and we'll get to a little bit at the end today, but come back to more really uh, in future weeks. But the idea of, of walking through this bloody mess was meant to sort of to help you realize the weight of what you were doing and, and to bring sort of this realness to the stakes of, of this relationship that you're entering into. And, and the idea, the connotation is that as you walk through this bloody path, that you are making the commitment to the other person, that you are saying to this other person, if I am not faithful to my part of the covenant, then may what has happened to these animals happen to me. That if I'm unfaithful to you in this relationship, may my body be broken. May my blood be shed. And so as you're making this, this walk through this, this bloody path, as you walk through the pieces as it would would be kind of known. You're supposed to kind of feel the weight of what you are entering into. So here's Abram, probably not working with the most sophisticated of tools, and he has to kill and cut into a cow, a goat, and a ram. Not the birds for some reason. <laughs> which I'm, I kind of picture Abram saying, so not the easy ones? Okay, thanks, God. That's great. Just, just these large animals. 
And so then he separates the halves of the dead carcasses so that there's this, this path in the middle. All the while, he's, he's fighting off these larger birds of prey, which just sort of adds to the graphic imagery of, of what is going on here, right? And just kind of even helps us maybe more vividly envision this as, as what looks like a horror scene out of a movie. Again, fun, fun lighthearted stuff. <laughs> this is great. And, and many of you watching uh, this week may know of, of my weak stomach for all things involving blood. And, and so in a story full of, of odd and strange sort of twists and turns, what comes next is the least surprising part of the story for me. Abraham passes out. <laughs> uh, like, all right, I got through all this. Maybe it's the smell that gets to him or the stuff flowing. But at some point, Abraham's just out. Um, okay, so maybe passing out isn't completely accurate. I would have passed out much earlier. <laughs> um, but Abram does fall into a deep sleep, or as some translations say, a trance. Probably not because he's just overcome with the grossness, but this is something that God seems to sort of put him in. So let's keep reading. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. Okay, so remember, uh, Abram says, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And and so God goes through this process, has Abram do all this stuff. And then it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And in that is where we find our twist. The writer tells us that God made a covenant with Abram, but, but did you notice what didn't happen in that process? Abram never walked through the path of blood. Abram's passed out on the side. God knocks him out. Because God knows that Abram's family, uh, his descendants, will not be faithful to their part of the covenant. 
So God passes through the pieces in, in the form of this blazing torch, which is a, a recurring sort of uh, manifestation of God throughout Scripture as, as fire or, or a torch. So God passes through the, the pieces, uh, but, but he passes through them alone. Abram never does. And in doing that, God is, is shouldering the responsibility for both parties in the covenant, which means that he is not only staking his character and his integrity and his trustworthiness to his ability and willingness to follow through on his part of the covenant, but it also means that he is going to shoulder the weight of the consequences if either party is not faithful to their part of the covenant. So Abram asked God, how can I be certain of your promises in uncertain times? God, what is something that I can hold on to? And in response, God basically says, through this elaborate process, uh, you want to know the extent to which you can trust me? I'll make a covenant with you, but I will be the only one fully bound to all of its parameters. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for the mistakes of Abram and his descendants nor does it absolve them from the duty of faithful action going forward. But what it does do is, is it gives Abram confidence that no matter what, God will not leave or forsake him or his people, and he will not go back on his promises. Okay, so now let's, let's fast forward. I'm going to zoom ahead all the way over to Luke 22. Uh, and by this point in, in Luke, Jesus has arrived in, in Jerusalem, and his impending death is imminent, and, and Jesus is, is anticipating that as he shares in this Passover meal with his disciples that we know as the Last Supper. And of course, the Passover is, is another event very closely tied to, to blood, right? So we've got that imagery again at play here. And as part of this meal, we're told that he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Well, do, do what? Well, share Share in this meal together. Share in my, my body that's broken for you. Share in this covenant meal. So let's keep going. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Okay, so, so in a covenant ceremony, you have, again, you have the three primary participants or roles, right? And, and the first of those is the animals. 
You, you have the animals whose bodies are broken and whose blood is shed to mark the significance and the weight of the relationship and the agreement. And, and in this Last Supper scene, Jesus takes the bread and, and breaks it. And he tells his disciples, this is my body given for you. Then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So so the new covenant is is established in, in the blood of Jesus, not the blood of animals. Jesus' blood is, is poured out for the forgiveness of, of sins of all people, both, both looking back to the, to the old covenant and, and establishing this new covenant in the blood of Christ. And so it is Jesus' blood that, that, that serves as, as the blood of this new covenant. But in this new covenant, Jesus is more than that. So again, three roles in a covenant— In the covenant ceremony, you have the animals, but then you have the two individuals or the representatives from two parties who are entering into this covenant agreement by walking through the blood. And and again, these individuals may be making a covenant for themselves or they may be walking through the blood on behalf of others. And in this new covenant, Jesus also serves as the representative of both God and man. He is God who has has taken on human form. He is God who has fully condescended and and humbled and submitted himself to to human nature. And so he is the representative of of God in this new covenant. But he's also the the picture of the faithful human that that no other person could ever fully live into. He is the the new and the better Adam. And while we are all in sin because of our representative in Adam, we are now all in Christ and, and forgiven and redeemed because of our representative of Jesus. He is what Israel never could be, the light of the world who illuminates in human form what God is like and who God is and how we are called to live in response to that. The Hebrews writer refers to Jesus as as the mediator of a new covenant, the the go-between who serves as representative of both God and man, and in whom the, the covenant is sealed with his blood and marked with his blood, this unblemished blood that no blood from animals in the old covenant, in the old law, could, could ever really be or, or live up to. And so we find that in this new covenant, Jesus takes on all three of these roles. And we sort of see all three of those roles come together then in Ephesians 5, when Paul describes Christ's actions uh, in the context of a marriage covenant. And he says this in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself 
as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. So how do you, how do you present something to yourself? Uh, well, you, you act as the representative of both sides. God has invited and asked us to partner with him through this new covenant of Jesus' blood. And he sent his son to be our representative in the covenant, to fulfill the covenant in, in a way that no other human or person ever could. And in doing so, he, he establishes a new and better covenant, one in which he gives of himself. As a result, then, we are clothed with Christ and have full assurance of our standing before God. In order to give Abram hope, something that, that Abram could, could hold on to in uncertain times, God made a covenant with him, a covenant in which God alone walked through the blood or passed through the blood. And God has similarly given us hope in Christ, the mediator of a new covenant established through his own blood. And so as we share in our communion meal this morning and take time for reflection, may we do so with glad and sincere hearts, holding strong to the hope that we have in Christ. So we're now going to pray our, our prayer of confession together, and then we invite you to join us in a time of communion, in a time of prayer, uh, in a time of meditation, as we remember Christ and his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us. Forgive us. Renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen.
Jesus, you are love.